Hello once again, I'm Chris Lolly, the editor of CityWire Selector, and this is Future Thinking. Welcome to the third episode of this new series that seeks to investigate how thinking differently is leading to a change in the asset management industry. So far, we've already heard from a neuroscientist and an ESG expert, and today we're talking things over with a boutique builder keen to make waves in the world of ETFs. Rahul Bouchan, along with Stuart Forbes, Anthony Martin and Jason Kennard, left their jobs at Legal and General last year, where they had been part of the 10-strong ETF team. They set out to form their own venture called Rise ETF. In this chat, Rahul walks us through why they went it alone, what trends best lend themselves to being produced in a passive format, and why ETFs could be moving to a more active stance in the future. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to the latest edition of Future Thinking with me, Chris Lowley, the editor of CityWire Selector. I'm joined in quite unique circumstances by Rahul Bouchan, one of the co-founders of Rise ETF. Thank you for joining us. Thanks very much, Chris. It's a very strange scenario, but we'll try not to fixate on what's happening right now because the concept of this is to think about what's going to happen in the future. And one of the things that I was keen to talk to you about was the developments around ETFs because you took the plunge. You and uh, three of your colleagues? Three, three, of our, three of my colleagues, ex, well, ex-colleagues and current colleagues as well, yeah. And you jumped ship from Legal & General and established Rise ETF. Yeah, so so that's exactly right. You know, we, um, we are uh, a team of four founders uh, at Rise. We set, we set the business up in the beginning of 2019. And uh, really, the team, uh, our team, you know, we sprung out of um, legal in general. And uh, prior to that, we were at a firm called ETF Securities running a platform called Canvas, which was a USITS ETF platform. Um, I don't know how much you know about ETF Securities, but it was a, largely a um, exchange-traded commodities business. Sure. And they had a USITS ETF range within that called Canvas branded canvas so to speak and um, there were 10 of us we ran that business and uh, just that business the canvas business was bought by legal in general in march 2018 so as a result you know we we shifted over to to legal in general and uh, within sort of six to seven months you know we we made the plunge we wanted to focus in on a particular area of investing um, thematic investing where we'd seen a lot of success in the past. So as a unit, we are the team that launched the first robotics ETF in Europe. Uh, we're also the team that launched the first cybersecurity ETF in Europe. So the LNG Robo Global Robotics and Automation Fund, that's ours. The LNG Cybersecurity Uses ETF, that's ours. And those two products you know, grew to become quite successful. And so after shifting over to, to legal in general, I think um, it was quite clear to us that uh, there was uh, more to be done in the thematic space, and and really that's what prompted the plunge. And you know, we set out set out on our own in, in the beginning of 2019. We um, managed to get an investor on board in in March, and by you know eight months later, nine months later, we were essentially live uh, in February of this year with our first two ETFs. Um, so we've uh, we've launched two funds. Uh, one of them is a cybersecurity and data privacy ETF, and the second is a medical cannabis and life sciences ETF. Which, I mean, if you were talking thematically, those are two very strong structural thematics. They're, they're trends that aren't going away. They seem to be also very attractive to investors. Taking one step back slightly, and I think you did cover this a bit in your first, is what was the incentive of actually branching out on your own? And what were the challenges and what were the were there any fears of doing it? Um, I think it's it's an it's a great question. I mean, I think the the, the I think the the seeds of, of of sort of entrepreneurship I would say were really sown back in sort of 2016 2017 because there was a lot of chat uh, within ETF securities around the firm being sold, and so that naturally you know being being the team that 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 was kind of 
you know, looking after this this particular canvas business, um, you know, it was it was a conversation that led to a lot of chat around a potential management buyout. Now that didn't necessarily materialize, and the transaction to legal in general happened very very quickly, and as a result, you know, that that shift happened very very quickly, and 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 I think you know we. Uh, had always imagined ourselves as, you know, wanting to kind of strike out on our own uh, based on those conversations. And I suppose they, those feelings never really went away. Um, and I think as we as we sort of landed in the seats, you know, at legal in general, um, that conversation continued. And certainly there were there were some fears, you know, will we find investors to to back the business? You know, what sort of products should we be should we be focusing on? Um, do we go the white label route like like Han ETF have done, or do we go uh, a different route, um, specialize in, in in a suite of our own products rather than you know building products for others? And you know, for us, it was um, it, it, it was a lot of sort of decision making, but ultimately we decided that you know in order to really um, bring to markets a, a unique offering and an innovative offering, we had to build our own products. Number one, and of course that was helped by the fact that we got early backers. Um, in in the business very very quickly after after resigning from from legal in general. Why can I ask on those two themes? Because I did mention there that they are the strong themes, are themes that we've seen in different. And I I mean, Citywide Selected largely covers the active side of things, but they are funds we've seen in various forms. Why those two themes in particular were the ones you chose to start with? So yeah, that's a that's a great question. So on the, on the cybersecurity first, then I mean. It's a it's a theme we've always liked since uh, since building the first cyber ETF in Europe back in 2015, and to be honest, you know when we launched that product, um, the reception from clients was was really mixed. You know, you, you had clients saying, you know, is this tech? Is it not tech? Where do I put it? Do I put it in a satellite bucket? Do I put it in alts? Do I put it in my global equities? Nobody really knew what to do with it, and here we had you know a product that we had gone live with. And people, people just looking at it, saying, "Look, I like this story, but I don't know how to invest in this thing because I don't know where to put it." Um, and so, over time, what we saw, and and this was very much, I think, a process that almost naturally occurred between 2015 and 2018, was suddenly um, a bucket and and a place for these type of investments started appearing. And um, I think you you often find that it's the product providers that that bring out new and innovative solutions. And then it's the clients that kind of figure out where to map them. But that process takes one, two, three years. We've seen a similar thing happen with, with ESG. So many products out there. A lot of people don't know where to put them really. Um, and so they're building their own and or they're, they're sort of customizing portfolios there as well. And I think what we, what we found was that the uptake really started to accelerate um, some, at some point in 2017 where clients kind of at some you know figured out where to put these things and so they carved out these these areas in and uh, in, in for the most part in the satellite bucket for these sort of let's say high conviction alpha calls that they had um and 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 so with that you know came the came the AUM and so on on the cybersecurity product you know we we had um we always we built this this product in 2015 the, the the product didn't really get start gathering assets until 2017, so it got was sort of sitting at 50 million for a while, and then suddenly in 17, 18, 19, this thing exploded to a billion dollars in assets, and I think that was really a um, a, 
a, a sort of a, a learning experience to for us um, that you know people wanted to 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 invest in these type of thematic opportunities, and now they'd finally figured out how. And so, on the cybersecurity product, it was it was a very natural product for us to start with because it's one we understood it's a market we understood it's it's companies we understood it's subsectors that we understood and we felt like we could essentially bring to market a product in cyber that was better suited to the context um, of, of 2020 so what we've added here are a couple of elements um, in addition to 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 obviously a cheaper fee one is We've got a product that um, excludes aerospace and defense companies because of their um, high exposure to controversial weapons. And the second thing is we've uh, got a product that also thinks about and considers the importance of data privacy, um, very much led by regulations such as GDPR and CCPA in the US, um, and, 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 and thinks about how those type of uh, regulatory frameworks are impacting what cybersecurity companies need to offer uh, in their products and services, so those are really the things that we've 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 captured here. You mentioned that I mean a couple of times. Two thousand seventeen came up, and in in notes that I sent across before, there was a a point where uh, I don't know if you know downtown Josh Brown. He's a commentator in the U.S. He's a um, big independent investor advisor, and he said the world is being indexed, and that was with a decidedly negative connotation. And that came at the same time that an ETF of ETFs was launched. So. My question, without trying to be too provocative or, or prompt a response, is are we actually seeing too much development in the ETF market? If you can make an ETF out of anything, should you? That's, that's, a, that's a really great point. I, I think it's certainly a place that's becoming massively saturated. And I think if you're competing in areas like core, factor, ESG, um, and, and even in, in, in fixed income in, in certain areas, uh, perhaps even in alts, all you're really competing on is cost. You know, you're seeing these gold ETCs, for example. The the race is 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 on to to essentially zero. Um, you know, uh, the Amundi Amundi product coming out at 15 bips. Um, you know, earlier this this week, or I think it was last or late last week. Um, I mean, it's these these in in the sort of more competitive areas, it's just a race to zero. I think where there's still opportunity left, however, is is in the thematic space because nobody has really figured out how to own this. And this is very much why we wanted to launch uh, a business around thematic, invest thematic investing in, in particular, because it, it is sort of that last remaining opportunity within the ETF space. And I'm talking, of course, about passive slash systematic strategies. Now, some would argue that you know, there is still an opportunity in active ETFs, um, that I think that trend hasn't really kicked off yet. And I think it will very, very soon. Um, you are going to start seeing active ETFs in Europe as you have in the US uh, and Canada. And that might, that, I think that is, is certainly going to be an interesting one, but I think that then leaves behind sort of passive inv investing and, and, and systematic strategies to, to some extent. And, and now we're moving into, you know, a different kind of, um, space where ETFs are no longer synonymous with passive. Um, but are kind of just a just a vehicle to 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 access any investment strategy, so to speak. And I think you've you've seen this transition, you know, from ETFs being purely passive with with, with a lot of market cap based products, you know, like ETFs on the S and P five hundred, FTSE one hundred, and you've seen the shift towards you know factor based strategies, ESG thematics, which I think are more 
if you can characterize them as systematic strategies, um, I think that's probably a better um, term. And then, of course, that's going to move into the active at at some point. So on that point, how would you actually define active ETFs as opposed to what we would consider more traditional passive products? Sure. So um, I think uh, let's let's start with passive. I mean, a passive um, ETF is essentially an investment strategy that's entirely um, driven by by a set of rules that are documented in index methodology. And that's what it's been for 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 a long period of time. Now, what we've seen evolve in the thematic space is obviously slightly more um, complex passive strategies where, you know, there's um, ETFs like like ours, our thematics, you know, which are built with an expert partner in, involved. And so what you're doing there is you're delineating the universe creation with the passive rules-based index implementation. So with a thematic um, ETF, what you end up having is a, a an expert that's building a universe of, of companies and the ETF is there to track an index that uses that universe of companies to invest in those companies through a rules-based systematic way. Now, on the other side of the of, of that spectrum, of course, are active ETFs. And until now, the definition has been, you know, in the ETF world, at least, products that um, divulge their holdings on, on, on a daily basis, but are run fundamentally by, by an active portfolio manager. Um, now, of course, the active community has not particularly liked that aspect because of the idea of having to disclose the portfolio on a, on a daily basis. So um, what you are likely to see, I think, going forward here in Europe is active managers increasingly uh, pushing for ETFs to be launched, active ETFs to be launched, where they don't actually have to divulge the portfolio holdings on a daily basis. We've seen that um, being approved by the U.S. regulator um, and a couple of ETFs launched on on, on the back of that. Um, so really what, what was supposed to, I would argue, be a fully transparent vehicle is now becoming slightly less transparent, but perhaps... Um, you know, that is the next step in, in, in the evolution of ETFs is to become slightly less transparent so that the active community can come in and take advantage of the wrapper. That seems slightly counterintuitive to me, though, because we're in an industry where there is a huge push towards transparency. So why would they be pushing back against being more transparent? I think it's um, it's it's down to a couple of things. You know, a lot of a lot of active fund managers might think that um, and just to be clear, you know, we're not running any active funds here, here at Rise. Um, but I, I guess, I guess it could be that, you know, some active managers believe that they've developed, you know, some, some very proprietary, um, stock picking capabilities or some algorithmic trading or, um, some unique, um, way of investing in, in, in companies. Uh, I see. So that, it prevents complete replication from a rival. I think that's so I it. Right and, over and, you and, <laughs> that's all right. But exactly, exactly what you said. Um, you know, it's um, it's 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 kind of to to it's it's there to really protect IP, um, and you know I think certain certain um, fund active managers might might be okay with with disclosing their portfolios on on a daily basis, but others may not be. Um, so I think it's it's the ones that are happy with that disclosure that might come to the market first, but then um, the ones that are, are less perhaps you know a little. Um, reticent to disclose their holdings might come to the market a little bit later, um, you know, as the regulatory framework changes around ETFs. 
we did touch upon it at the start, Rahul, but in terms of cost, you talked about the race to the bottom. We've actually seen the race through the bottom with Salt, Low, True Beta ETF coming out, I think it was either earlier this year or late last year, um, with an ETF that was negative and it would actually pay you to invest. I know that's, I've read a lot of papers on this about the psychological barrier that is to try and get these lost leader principles. But as somebody who's active in this market, sorry, not using the word active on purpose, but with somebody who has exposure, do you see more funds going that way or will we get to a point where they get to zero and start coming back? Um, it's a good question. Um, it's, it's, it's a tough one to answer. I mean, I, w- I would, um, I do suspect that the cost will keep coming down. I mean, some of these products that are negatively pl- priced, you know, they will be doing things like stock lending and trying to make, make money in that, in that way. Um, so, so essentially the stock lending revenue offsetting, you know, the negative fee, um, by more than the negative fee. And then there being some margin in there. I think you're unlikely to see negatively priced products, um, you know, from, from upstart ETF issuers, because ultimately ETF businesses are so expensive to run. So the only um, providers that can really, you know, um, adjust, uh, essentially um, take those losses, so to speak, for, for the for the period that those products are under a certain AUM threshold and are essentially loss-making um, are going to be the big ETF providers. So I suspect that, you know, you, you might see that. Um, to me, it's perhaps more of a PR stunt than, than anything else. Um, it's, it's, it's a great way to get, you know, a story into, into the news. But I think ultimately where, where the market's going to be judging ETF issuers is in the innovativeness of their solutions, in the, in the creativity of their products. You know, are they building products that are built for the future and for the way um, today's generation of investors really want to invest? And again, you know, for us, but that is the, the the thematic opportunity that stands stands in front of us. Um, I think there's a big change coming in the way investors allocate capital, and I think it's uh, it's important for ETF issuers not just to be thinking about um, you know cost and how important cost is, but also to be thinking about bringing to market new and innovative products. So on the on the final point, then ultimately. What is the end game for ETFs and where do you see Rise fitting into that and how are you going to respond to those challenges? Great question. So I think there's two major trends that we're seeing. So one is um, this race to the bottom in terms of costs. And I think that's unique to certain types of ETF ranges and less unique to to, to other types like thematics and and perhaps some of the more innovative strategies that are being launched in the ETF format. I think the second trend is ESG. Now, this is a word that's been um, that's been kind of used to death, and I think it's being slapped on every product out there. and And I think where what's important is for investors to really be vigilant in terms of um, their asset allocation when it comes to ESG. To really sort of look at these products, look in, look what what's inside of them, and and start unpacking the actual constituents to see, hey, is this truly ESG? Because I think the meaning has has kind of lost. Um, um, some of its, um, let's say, importance in, in 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 a lot of these, a lot of the greenwashing that's been happening. So I think ESG is nonetheless a trend that's going to continue. Now, what we see, uh, uh, where we see a big opportunity is, is certainly in thematic investing, but the way we think about themes is through an inherently sustainable lens. So in in our view, and and this is kind of 
something that we've been talking about quite a quite a bit, you know, within within Rise and and even prior to founding the firm, is thematic investing might be a slightly, in our view, is a slightly um, better way to to really think about ESG because it allows you to essentially put together a high conviction portfolio of companies that you believe and 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 will will make an impact to whatever the objective of the fund is. So if the objective of the fund is to track an index that's um, investing in companies that are improving the um, you know the access to water around the world and you can actually be quite selective in the companies that you choose into you know, to go into that that particular ETF you know do you want water utilities in there or maybe you want irrigation companies most likely you want a lot of water technology stocks so I think there is a there's a lot more room I'd, I'd say in, in thematic portfolios to really um, isolate the companies that are truly tracking that sustainable theme versus, um, you know, might have trivial exposure. And I think that's really where, you know, we see this this market going. And that's certainly going to be reflected in in the type of products that we uh, that we come out with, both in late, later into 2020, but also in 2020, 2021 and beyond. Well, I'm very excited to see what you do bring to the market. Thank you much, Rahul. Thank you for joining us. And um, thank you for taking the time. Thanks for having me. Cheers. So thank you to Rahul for taking the time. Next time, we'll hear from another manager who went the boutique building route. Thematic Asset Management's Karen Carmandarian will be joining us from Paris. Karen was among several prominent members of Pictet's famous thematics team that jumped ship at the end of 2018 to forge their own path. One certainly not to miss. You can find these podcasts on Spotify and iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. So please make sure to like and subscribe. And I look forward to speaking to you again soon.